I just have two quick things before we jump into the sermon for this morning. One, I, I, I gave an incomplete introduction there of our family. Ben and Melissa have been on staff with the Navigators for 20 years. A month or two ago, they were appointed the, uh, see if I have, collegiate directors of the United States. So they are in charge, Ben is in charge of ministries on 100, 200, 800 campuses. How many? 150 campuses, and Ben's and Melissa's in charge of Ben. So that's how that works. And uh, then Jeremy and Emily, they're Sioux Fallsites. Uh, I might as well put in a plug for them. Jeremy's the manager of First Premier Bank on West 41st Street. So he reminded me if you need a Christmas loan, a house loan, car loan, speedboat loan, camper loan, anything, he can help. He's right across from Roosevelt. And Emily is the... Uh, owner-operator of Kinder Music, which is a music program for little tiny kids. And, uh, and then Sharon's in charge of all of us, all 11 of us. So Let's take our Bibles and let's, uh, let's turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. The, the one thing, we've been working our way through the book of Jonah here at Crosspoint. And um, next week, when we finish chapter 4, I'm going to do my best. I'll do my best. We're going to stop five minutes early, okay? And I'm going to come down here, and we're going to have a question and answer time just on Jonah. I can't promise you that I can answer all your questions. In fact, I can promise you I cannot answer all your questions, but I want us to take five or ten minutes next week at the end of the service and have a Q&A. So if you have anything going through your mind about the book of Jonah, and uh, if you have that, maybe somebody else in the church family has an answer for that. And we're going to bring the book of Jonah to a close at the end of next week's service. So today we're in Jonah chapter 3. The one thing that, you know, you can go near and far, even people who don't go to church if they're familiar with the story of Jonah, the one thing that most people know about the book of Jonah is that it is this wild and crazy story, almost unbelievable, about a guy named Jonah. Now just walk through this with me. There really is a guy named Jonah. And somewhere in the 8th century B.C., he is on a boat and he gets thrown into the Mediterranean Sea and he's swallowed by what the Bible calls a giant fish. But the story gets better. He's swallowed by a giant fish and he somehow miraculously lives inside the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Are you still with me? And then at the end of three days, this giant fish spits him out of his mouth, or I've heard it explained almost like it vomited him out of his mouth. And Jonah is somehow miraculously still alive. Now, beyond that story, most of us are not familiar with anything else that happens in the book. That is the thing. However, by the time we finish next Sunday, at the end of our study of Jonah, if we somehow believe that the main point of this book is to tell us about a guy that gets swallowed by a fish, we have missed 
what God wants to teach us. The book of Jonah is not just about some guy named Jonah who gets swallowed by a fish. The book of Jonah is about each one of us. Now let me say that again. The book of Jonah is not just about some guy that gets swallowed by this giant fish. No, no, no. The book of Jonah is about each one of us. It's about what happens when we disobey God. It's about what happens when we ignore what God is asking us to do. It's about what God can do when we repent of our sin and we ask to be forgiven. It's about what God wants to do in and through us as each of us seek to become obedient in doing what God is asking us to do. Now here we are, what, what is this, November 24, 2019. Jonah lived in the 8th century B.C., so that would have been 2,800 years ago. In the 2,800, 2800 years that have passed, we still don't know who wrote this book. It was not written by Jonah. We don't know who wrote it, and we don't know when it was written. But by faith, we believe that because it's in the Bible, because it's a part of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, we are convinced, we believe from the bottom of our hearts, that there's something in that book of Jonah that God wants us to take and apply to our life. So our responsibility here as people at Cross Point and everywhere else is to discover what God is asking each of us to do as we do our best to apply these principles to our life. God expects us to be involved in other people's lives. Do you realize that? God does not want us to live in some kind of a little place where we build a fence around our house and we don't have anything to do with the neighbors and we, we have solar power and wind power and everything. we don't have anything to do with the rest of the world. God does not expect us, nor does he want us to live like that. He wants us to be involved with the rest of the world. He wants us to be able to share with the rest of the world what he has done in our life. He wants us to share that with the rest of the world, that he is a kind, gracious, loving, merciful God. And he wants us to share that with our co-workers and our neighbors and our classmates. He even wants us to share that he is a kind, gracious, loving, merciful God with those people who ridicule us for our faith. So the question we need to ask ourselves, and we've asked ourselves this for the last three or four weeks as we continue to work our way through this book, here's the question. If God is concerned for the people in our lives who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, why aren't we? That's what this book is about. So your Bibles are open to Jonah chapter 3. If you'd please just follow along and I'll read the third chapter. It's only 10 verses. Jonah 3, this is, the, this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that he may not punish us. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, depending on which books you read and depending on which websites you visit when you're on the internet, God is described as having somewhere between 15 and 20 attributes, 15 and 20 qualities that are used to describe who God is. Now, we're going to talk about a couple of these in depth in a moment, but let me just go quickly through some of these to give us an idea of what the Bible teaches about who God is. On this list, no matter where you look it up, one of the first things that's always on there is God is eternal. Now, I'm not asking you if you can process this information because I've been trying to process this all my life and some of this stuff just, I have to be honest with you, it just blows my mind. I believe it because it's biblical truth. I believe it. But I have to take it by faith. Because some of this stuff just, I have to ask myself, how, how is this possible? But I believe it. This is who God is. If we could take all of God, which we can't, and put it on one piece of paper, this is who he is. He's eternal. Whenever you discover a list of attributes of God, that is almost always the first one on the list. Or sometimes, instead of saying eternal, they'll say he's infinite. He has. Now think about this with me, and I'm not going to go in depth on all 20 of these, but he has no beginning. Are you there? There is no beginning. Where is that? How, how can any, no be? there's no end. He has always existed. You know that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, God created the heavens. No, it's before that. Okay. God is, he's eternal. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has no needs. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need this offering that we're about to take. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need this building. He has no needs. He's completely self-sufficient. God is faithful. God is good. God is just. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is loving. And God is holy. All of that put together. God is omnipresent. That means he exists everywhere at the same time. He doesn't just show up in Sioux Falls on Tuesday afternoons between 1 and 4. He's here all the time. 
He's omnipresent. Not only is he here, he's in China and Saudi Arabia and Mexico. (laughs) And lest I forget, Sweden. He's everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent or omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that he can't do. He is in absolute control of everything that happens, and everything that does happen is part of his plan. He's omniscient. He knows everything knowable. Not only was he in Sioux Falls last Tuesday afternoon between 1 and 4, he's here all week long, and he knows what you were doing last Tuesday afternoon between 1 and 4. And not only does he know what you were doing, he knows what you were thinking. And he has always existed and he always will exist. Now, with those attributes, and I'm sorry I blew your mind now, you won't be able to focus on anything. With those attributes swirling around in your head, let's go back to Jonah chapter 1. See if I can bring this to a, make some point out of this. In Jonah chapter 1, I want to read the first four verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. We've got a map that Trey's going to put up here in a second. In Jonah chapter 1, God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah ignores God, and he goes in the opposite direction. Now, there's a biblical principle we need to understand. God is omnipotent. Remember that? That was one of those 15 or 20 that we lived. He's he's omnipotent, and because he is omnipotent, when God establishes a plan, God is going to do whatever, whenever, and wherever needs doing in order for his plan to be accomplished. And just because Jonah is stubborn and disobedient, that doesn't mean he's not going to Nineveh. Let's understand that. Just because Jonah is stubborn and disobedient, it doesn't mean that God needs to somehow change his plans on how he's going to get somebody to go to Nineveh and tell them that there is a God who loves them. No, not at all. God is in absolute control of everything that happens. If we were to name, and those of you who have been here for the last number of months, you know I like coming up with names for chapters. If we were to name Jonah chapter 1, it would be one word, disobedience. Jonah was disobedient in doing what God asked him to do. Turn the page, go to Jonah 2. In Jonah 2, Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish. If we were to name Jonah chapter 2, it would be one word. Consequences. There are, I want us to understand this, there are always, say it with me, always. There are always consequences for sin. How often? 
Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That verse should be underlined in your Bible. Here's another one that should be underlined in your Bible. 1 Timothy 5.24 The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Now there are a lot of people, how do I want to say this? There's a lot of people both inside church, and when I say inside church, I'm not just talking about cross point. There are a lot of people who are inside churches And there are a lot of people outside churches who never darken the door of any church who have this confused. There are a lot of people who mistakenly believe that we can... Well, let's just walk through this. There are a lot of people who mistakenly believe that we can commit any sin. And if we ask God to forgive us, there are no consequences. That's not true. There are always consequences for sin. Some are more severe than others, but there are always consequences. Yes, let me go back one step. Yes, it's true. We we can be involved. We can commit any sin. And yes, if we repent and ask God to forgive us, He will forgive us. But there are still consequences. Let me give an example from real life. The other day, Jeremy sent me a text the other day. He was going down 41st Street. Some casino over here must have got robbed because there was 114 cars parked in front of the casino. Now, I don't know who it was, and I don't know who was in there, and I don't know anything about that person. But if you're in there, and you've got a gun, and you're robbing a casino or a bank or a jewelry store or anything else, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You're still going to jail. Okay? You can be as sorry as the day is long. And you can, in prayer, ask God to forgive you, but you're still consequences. Okay? So consequences are, let's go back. Forgiveness is one thing. Consequences are something else. From inside the belly of this giant fish in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah realizes his disobedience. And as he begins to experience the consequences Of his disobedience, he calls out to God and asks God for help. Jonah chapter 2, the first two verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. In Jonah chapter 1, if you're familiar with the story, the sailors ask Jonah, they're in a storm, and they ask everybody, would you call out to your God? And they're calling out, and they say to Jonah, would you call out to your God? Maybe he'll save us from this storm. But what the sailors couldn't do to Jonah in chapter 1, the giant fish accomplishes in Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah is now from the belly of that fish calling out to his God. In verse 2, he calls him Lord. Suddenly, Jonah is no longer running away from God, but he's now seeking to be in God's presence. And he's thanking God from inside the belly of the fish. He's thanking God for hearing his prayer. And he's renewing his relationship with God. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, Jonah also uses another word that most of us never used ever, not even one time in all our life, unless you're in a Sunday school class someplace. He uses the word sheol. Now, I can tell you, I've never used that word in my life, unless I'm reading Scripture. 
Sheol is a place. It's, it's best described. Sheol, some people will say Sheol is hell. Okay, sometimes that might be the correct. But the, the, the correct definition of Sheol is a place as far away as you can get from God. That's what it means to be in Sheol. Moses uses that same word in number 1630 when he's describing the way the nation of Israel is hanging around wicked people and he warns them, he says, you hang around with the wrong people, you're going to suffer. Birds of a feather flock together. You know all those things and there's plenty of proverbs about that. Here's what it says in Numbers 16.30. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all the things that belong to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, Jonah is describing his situation when he's inside the belly of that fish. He's describing his situation as being as far away from God as he can get. From inside the belly of that fish, Jonah cries out for help, and God helps him. Now remember, when God establishes a plan, God is going to do whatever it takes in order for his plan to be accomplished, including allowing a man to be swallowed by a giant fish in order to get him to Nineveh. God is going to do whatever it takes for his plan to be accomplished. Turn the page. Go to Jonah 3. Jonah arrives in Nineveh. Now, our first thoughts might be this. You know, it'd be easy to sit around over a cup of coffee and talk about this and to come up with this conclusion. If Jonah, you know, if he would have only listened to God in the first place, just think of that. If he would have only listened to God in the first place, he wouldn't have had to go through all that. Now, that's where our stories come in. I mean, just imagine we took the next hour and we allowed us to share our Jonah stories. To share about those times when God asked us to do something. Oh, no. And because of our disobedience, we suffered the consequences. See, this, isn't, this book isn't just about some guy in a fish. This is about us. I wonder how many of us could tell our Jonah stories about how and when we were disobedient and then talk about the consequences that we knew we suffered because of our disobedience. Jonah chapter 3, the first five verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Verse 3 tells us something very specific about Nineveh. It says it takes three days to walk from one side to the other. That's a big town. People who study things like this tell us that on average, a healthy person should be able to walk, just in a comfortable walk, we should be able to walk 17 miles a day. If we were going someplace, 
How far? I wonder how long it would take for me to walk to Minneapolis. Well, on an average day, you can walk 17 miles. I probably couldn't even get out of bed the second day. But the first day, I might get 17 miles. So give us, with that in mind, 17 miles, we can get this picture of Nineveh. From one side to the other, and he walks three days, it's more or less 50 miles from one side of Nineveh to the other. I believe that based on that verse and based on one more thing that comes up near the end of Jonah chapter 4, which I'm going to save for next week, I believe that Nineveh was a huge city. Millions. Perhaps millions of people. When Jonah started into the city, he preached five words in Hebrew. It's recorded for us in Jonah 3 verse 4. Now, the problem is, we don't have Hebrew Bibles. So we're trying to read this in English. Remember, when we all get to heaven, we'll have Swedish Bibles. Remember that? I can say that if your name's Anderson. Some of you don't think that's right, but we'll check when we get there. Um, in Hebrew, his whole sermon is five words. And some of you are right, right now thinking, why doesn't Steve try that some Sunday? Because you need more than five words. I need more than five words. But in English, depending on the translation you have, the whole sermon is seven or eight, or I think there's one translation that has ten words. But in my English translation, verse four says this, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the sermon. That's it. And with those words, the unexpected and unbelievable happened. Revival broke out. Verse five says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Based on those five words in Hebrew. The people repented. The king called on everyone. He, I don't know how this works. He even called on the animals. No food, no water for all people and all animals. We are going to fast as a way of expressing our thankfulness to God for bringing us his love. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God saw their repentance and their humility, and he did not destroy the city. Jonah chapter 1, disobedience. Jonah chapter 2, consequences. Jonah chapter 3, I couldn't come up with one word. I've got three words. Repentance brings forgiveness. When the wicked people of Nineveh repented, God forgave their sin. Now here I'm going to close with this question, then we're going to take the offering. Here's my question. What's going on in your life right now at this moment that you need to ask God forgiveness of? I'm not asking you to shout it out. I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm just asking you to think about it. What's going on in your life right now that you need to ask God to forgive you of? Because of your sin, how long are you willing to suffer the consequences of your disobedience until you repent and ask God to forgive you? How long, that's your answer, how long are you willing to suffer the consequences of being disobedient to God? Well, see, you can get all that cleared up today. You can take time, whether it's sitting here on these red chairs or when you go home this afternoon, because my guess is we all have sin that we know we've committed that we have not asked God to forgive us of.
I'm not here as the judge and the jury. We will all someday stand before God. But what a refreshing thought to think, you know, that thing that whatever that was that we were involved in 14 years ago, I, oh, I wish I had never, but we've never asked God to forgive us. Now, I've sometimes described this unconfessed, unrepentant sin. If you can imagine this, and then I'll close. Imagine you had a PVC pipe, a plastic pipe between your heart and it was three or four inches, and it was somehow supernaturally connected. Your heart was connected with God. And every time you sinned, one little speck of dust got in that pipe. Now, it wouldn't interfere with your life. I mean, what? It, one little... Here, I've got a speck of dust right here in the corner of my Bible. That doesn't interfere with anything. Then you sin a second time. You don't ask God to... Free, and then you know where I'm going. So now... I mean, for some of us, how long has it been? How long has it been since we've actually paused from the busyness of our lives? How long has it been since we've asked God to forgive us for those specific things? And as long as that, every time that one little flake of fleck of dust keeps going in that PVC pipe and it begins to clog up my relationship with God. But I can ask God, when we ask God to forgive us, it's not a one-time thing, God forgive me for everything I've ever done, amen. It's not that, that's not the kind of prayer. It's taking the time to going through and identifying and being very specific about those things that I've done. And even, I, I know guys that have even prayed and asked God to remind them of things they forgot about. What a blessing. So here we have two options. We can either go through life all clogged up, our relationship not near what it could be, or we can take the time to repent. Because after a while, if you're like me, I am sick and tired of suffering the consequences. I want to be restored. I want my life to be refreshed. God wants us to be in a right relationship with us. And yet there are some people who are too stubborn to admit their sin. And so they walk through life suffering the consequences that they don't need to suffer. May God help all of us live lives that bring him honor and glory. And when we fail and fall and stumble, may we be the first ones to ask God to forgive us. I'm going to close in prayer. The ushers are going to come and take this morning's offering. Then we're going to stay for lunch, whether you're prepared to stay or not. If you didn't bring anything, nobody cares. Just sit down, enjoy the fellowship. And I, for one, am looking forward to fellowshipping around the table. So let's, uh, let's pray. And your assignment, your assignment, if you are willing to accept it, is to read Jonah chapter 4 before you come to church next Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us even on those multitude of times when it certainly looks like we're not very loving and kind toward you. So, Lord, I pray on behalf of the church, I pray that you'd encourage us to seek forgiveness of our sin, that we can be restored to a right relationship. God, we thank you for sending Jesus, and it's only because of Jesus, it's only because of Jesus and the gospel that we can have our sin forgiven. And so, Lord, thank you for sending him to die on the cross, that he was willing to shed his perfect blood as the full and final price for all of our sin. God, we believe that this book that we hold in our hands is the living word of God. And we believe that someday...
when we get to heaven, there will be a guy there named Jonah who repented of his sin and restored his relationship with God. And then, Lord, we thank you for this offering. Help us to continue to be good stewards of everything you entrust into our care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.